0: Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission. Connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, a few weeks ago, we started a brand new series, making our way through the book of Nehemiah, Rebuilding Broken Dreams. All of us can share a story of two. of a a dream that was broken. All of us can share a story when we felt so broken. And so as we make our way through the book of Nehemiah, I think we're going to be able to relate very easily to what God has for us through this really incredible story that's been recorded for us. So in fact, if you have your Bibles or some kind of electronic device, I'm going to encourage you right now to turn to the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to pick up the story in chapter 2, chapter 2 of uh, Nehemiah. Now, a couple things to remember as you're turning there from last week. Number one, we learned last week, is that God uses ordinary people. And we, we, we got that from 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 26, that talks about, you know, God doesn't often use the wise and the wealthy, just ordinary people. He doesn't often use the superstars of this world. Now, if you happen to be a superstar, it doesn't mean that God can't use you and that he won't use you. It's just that he tends to use ordinary people uh, to accomplish his purposes. Last week we also looked at that question, what do you do when you don't know what to do? (laughs) And uh, sometimes you know, life gets uh, overwhelming and we feel so desperate at times that we can't figure out what is the next step for me to do in a certain season and When we looked at Nehemiah's life, we said, well, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And, of course, what we discover from Nehemiah, he turned to God, wept like a baby, but he prayed. We also asked the question, what is it that wrecks you? Like, what is it you're so passionate about that you get to the point that you say, I just can't stand it uh, anymore. I've got to do something. You know, maybe it's some uh, injustice. Uh, maybe it's poverty or, or addiction or, or homelessness or mental health or, or troubled teens. And you finally say, I'm going to step in and I'm going to do something. Maybe you sign up to volunteer. Maybe you financially support the cause. Maybe you gather a team together so you can have uh, more impact. But you finally say, enough is enough. And honestly, I get worried in my own life if there's not times that I don't get broken over something. I don't want my heart uh, to be hard. Uh, I want it to break for the things that breaks the heart of God as well. Well, Nehemiah finds himself in this situation. Uh, He's broken down. He he weeps. He mourns. He fasts. And he prays. And he asks God, what should I do (laughs) in this situation? His people are well, they're living in despair, uh, trouble has plagued the entire city of Jerusalem. The place was a mess. Uh, the city was a wreck. The walls had fallen down. The gates had been burned. They had no protection. They were like sitting ducks for anyone to take a shot at. And a- antisemitism was also very popular I- in that day. No jobs, no security, no plans to have things change. Even though, you know, about 13, 14 years ago, Ezra took about 40,000 people back to the city of Jerusalem to begin to restore and and to rebuild the temple. And you think, well, what happened? What happened to that work crew of 40,000 people that went back? Now, of course, they're going back to a city where there is no economy and and no workforce and really no plan uh, to change things. And in chapter 2, we're going to discover that Nehemiah actually takes a big risk. He, he kind of goes out on the edge. He's living on the ragged edge, as some would say. And I want you to rem- uh, remind you that, remember, in chapter 1, we learned that Nehemiah had received some really, really bad news, some devastating news. And, and that was four months earlier. So between chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's about eight weeks. And for eight weeks, this news has just been going over and over and over, churning in Nehemiah's mind, day after day, trying to figure out what can he do in this situation where he finds his people so desolate. Uh, some might even say, Nehemiah, what you're about to do is crazy. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, you, you can't do what you're about to do. If you go ahead and ask the question that you're going to ask of the king, you know what's going to la- where you're going to end up. You're either going to end up at the gallows or in some kind of a prison system or at best just uh, lose your job. I can't help but imagine that Nehemiah, after working for 20 years uh, for the king, that he hasn't seen a few conversations that have gone down the drain where people have been sent to the gallows or to the prison system or exiled. So let's pick up the story in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. Verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. So it's kind of another normal day uh, at the office, you know, just fulfilling my my job responsibility. Remember, he's the cupbearer, right? So that means he would go in and, and taste the wine first. He tastes the food first, just in case there may be some poison in the food. Nehemiah has been doing this for 20 years, and it seems like it's just going to be another day. But this will be like no other day that he has lived. And we're going to discover why. See, because up to this point, Nehemiah has been hiding uh, his passion that is inside of him to go and help rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Until this point, it's just really a private matter uh, for him. So let's uh, continue uh, reading there. He says, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And the next line says, and I was very much afraid. King James puts it this way, that Nehemiah was sore afraid. Other translations said uh, he was frightened to death. He was terrified. He was overwhelmed with fear. So we kind of get the picture. This is a very tense moment. Lots of anxiety flowing through Nehemiah's veins. Let's continue uh, to read. He said, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king... May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers have buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed uh, by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? <laughs> what, what do I want? <laughs> I, I, I'm picturing Nehemiah hearing those words like, Seriously? Like, really? You want to know what I want? You're, you're asking me the question. And it says that after the question was asked, he prayed to God. Now, I picture when the question is asked, he's like, he's nervous. So He takes that, you know, that big swallow, like, you know, his palms are sweating. Maybe his knees are a little bit weak. Perspiration is running down the side of his face. Maybe uh, some stains under his tunic, under his armpits, Now, at first, you would almost think, well, Nehemiah, isn't that a good thing? Shouldn't you be excited that the king actually wants to know uh, what you want? Like, isn't this an opportunity for you to jump out on the sofa and put your arm around him and say, hey, old buddy, Art, so glad that you asked, uh, what is it that I want? But it says he was terribly frightened when that question was asked. I don't know, maybe, maybe the question caught Nehemiah off guard, and I, For sure, I think he's been praying for four months, you know, that God would give him a favorable audience before the king. But no matter how uh, you prepare for something, you can never really plan enough for the unexpected. And, and, and what I like about Nehemiah, like he's, he's just, and when Christianity in general, is that t- when you're a Christian, it's not all about being self-assured, always together, never afraid. No, no, no. Rather, it's times when you are caught off guard and sometimes you're filled with fear, and you tremble, and Nehemiah is unsure of himself, but it's at those moments that we are, we are completely convinced that we are absolutely, totally dependent upon God in those moments for his strength. Well, the king says, what is it that you want, uh, Nehemiah? And you think, how does that happen? How does the king ask a captive... What is it that you want? I couldn't help but think of that verse that was written by another king. Wise words by a king named Solomon. He wrote, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. He says, so he prayed to the God of heaven. It's sort of like... um, I picture it's like one of those silent, quick SOS prayers. <laughs> Ever prayed one of those? You know, we're not told what he said. We're not told what he prayed. But I have a sneaky suspicion that, that, that he used a Hebrew word that if you translate it into English, it would come across, help, <laughs> help. I, I need help, Lord. Ever been in one of those situations Where you're you're put on the spot, and suddenly you know fear grips you, and and there's no time to engage in some long, deep, meaningful prayer. You just simply pray, "Help me, help me, Lord." Well, that's kind of the situation we have here with uh, Nehemiah. Well, what we observe here in Nehemiah is something has happened unexpectedly, and and panic kind of seems to have gripped him, and because he's out of control. He's not in control of the situation. We see him as a genuine um, but ordinary person that is terrified, he's surprised, and he's breathing a a quick prayer to God. And I know that would be me if I was in that situation, as I'm sure it would be many of you, when all of a sudden you're put on the spot with a question, what is it I can do for you? The king asks Nehemiah. Now, at at verse 5, Let's pick it up there in uh, verse 5. It says, So I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Now, at first you go, why is he so nervous about that? I mean, what's, what's the the big deal? Like, you're calling that a big ask? Like, he just wants a little bit of vacation time? He wants to take a you know, leave of absence and, and go help his family members out to help rebuild? It doesn't seem like such a big deal uh, to me. Well, here's what, why it's such a big deal. Number one, Judah and, and the city of Jerusalem, they have a reputation. They have built a reputation for themselves as people who like to revolt uh, against uh, the ruling powers. When, when Babylon was a world empire and they conquered um, Jerusalem and Judah and, and uh, a few years later they kind of rebelled and, and, and then Babylon went back and, and they went back and again and then finally they just destroyed all the walls and the gates and the temple we're just going to flatten it all so there's no chance for you to rebel against us. Um, So they have a kind of a reputation. In fact, even this king, King Artaxerxes, had to put a a stop on the work order from a number of years ago when when Ezra had taken a group of people there because rumors were spreading that they were rebuilding for the purpose uh, to rebel. In fact, it's in Ezra Ezra chapter 4, you also will read about the king's father A report came to him about the people of Judah, that they were getting ready to rebel. And now here's the son, King Artaxerxes shuts everything down at the job site, because word was getting back to them. Now, mind you, they were the enemies of Judah that were reporting to the to King Xerxes by saying they're going to rebuild the walls. And when they rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates, you can be guaranteed they're not going to be paying their taxes and their dues that are owed to the king's treasury. And so King Xerxes puts everything to a stop. So when Nehemiah comes and asks about going to the city where their people have this reputation to rebel, I could understand why he was nervous. Like, he's going to ask the king, can you give me permission to go to the place where you've already stopped the job construction once because a possibility of rebellion. So it's, it's, a, big, it's a big ask. And, and remember, there, there, there's no such thing as vacation time. <laughs> he's a captive that's working uh, for the king. So it's a big ask. And then it says, when you keep on reading, look at verse 6. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will you, your journey take and when will you be back? And it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. The king actually gives permission <laughs> for him to go. And then, of course, he, he goes on with a few more uh, requests. Which we'll look here shortly. Because Oh, and if I go, can I also have this? Oh, and, and can I have this? Oh, and, and, and can I have this? I mean, honestly, Nehemiah's got a lot of guts. He's got a lot of nerve. He's got a lot of faith to ask uh, for such a thing uh, from the king. It's obviously God has stepped in because this is not a normal response This is not a normal response uh, for a king to allow such a thing who just a few years earlier had already squashed a rebellion that had taken place in that city. Now, he goes on. Let me just continue to read there. It says in verse 7, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, may I have a letter to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? Oh, and one more thing. Yeah, and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city walls and for the residence that I will occupy? When he went to Asaph, I mean, he, he's the keeper of the king's forest. When, when Nehemiah uh, passes him the, the letter, the scroll, the manuscript that says, give Nehemiah whatever he wants to rebuild the city gates and the temple and the walls, I'm sure he was scratching his head. Really? Is this a forgery? Is this really the king's signature? Like, you're going to be able to take from the king's supply and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is so broken over the situation in Jerusalem that he's willing to lay his life on the line to do something. As the old cartoon Popeye uh, used to say, I can't stand it no more. Well, that's Nehemiah. I just can't stand to see the situation anymore. I've, I've got to do something. And you do not have to be appointed by man if you were called by God. I mean, if God breaks your heart over something and calls you to do something, then he will equip you to do the task that he's asked of you. It's interesting because when I say he's ordinary, Nehemiah is not a prophet. Uh, he's not a priest. He's not a contractor. He doesn't have a Facebook account. He doesn't have a Twitter account. He, does, he hasn't become well-known and popular through TikTok. He's just an ordinary guy who has a burden to make a difference with his life. When you study the life of Nehemiah, you come to the conclusion, this is the real McCoy, a genuine, authentic follower of God. And this book that bears his name is as real as he was. And when we read through his memoirs, we're going to be allowed to see both his strengths and his weaknesses. We're going to be able to see him when he's fearless and courageous and when he's weak and afraid. We'll discover both sides of the man. In these verses, we see no facade Uh, No pseudo-spiritual language, no false piety, just the real McCoy of faith. Now, what has just happened here, what we've read this morning, obviously is a complete God thing. This is not normal. I can only imagine at this point, Nehemiah's faith is bursting at its seams. God showed up, and God did something amazing. When God breathes in you a desire to make a difference in this world, I believe he will equip you to what he has called you to do. I remember that statement that I heard when I was 12 years old. God will never lead you to a place that he will not equip you. God does the impossible with an ordinary guy like Nehemiah. He is the real McCoy, filled with fear and faith, And God used him. And my friend, I really believe God wants to use you in mighty ways. Even with all of our fears, we sometimes let overshadow even our faith. The burden you will bear will often reveal the calling that you will embrace. And rarely... Rarely do you know on the front end that you are part of something really special, part of something that could make a real difference in the world. And so I I want to encourage you today, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I believe God wants to use you to make an impact, to make a difference in this world. As we make our way through this story, ultimately, this story is a picture, really, of Jesus who comes and rescues broken people. That's what Jesus has come to do. He came to rescue those who are depressed and discouraged and overwhelmed and filled with fear, to bring us a sense of peace and security that can only be found in Him. So if you've tuned in this, uh, this morning to our service and, and you don't know Jesus. I, I just want to tell you, when you know Jesus it, it's a game changer. Everything changes in your life. You, you have an overwhelming sense of peace that is beyond human understanding and a sense of forgiveness of sin. Even in during this Pandemic of the coronavirus, I want to remind you, God is for you. Like God is for you. And sometimes people say to me, Well, how do you know God's for me? I know He's for you because He sent His only Son to die for you and for your sins. And so, even wherever you may find yourself this morning, maybe you're in bed, maybe you're listening uh, while you're driving the car, maybe you're in your living room, or your kitchen, maybe you're in your back deck. Right at this moment, if you don't know Jesus, you could actually enter into a relationship with Jesus by simply praying. You know, we're going to find, I think Nehemiah prays 12 different times in the book of Nehemiah. We'll look at those. But right where you are, God's ear is always open to hear people call on him. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9, 15, and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.